you are who you are. You take yourself with yeah. you wherever you go, which is why people who you see traveling around and they live 16 different places and they don't have any relationships that have lasted over a year or so, you know, they, they're moving the people and the places that they're locating themselves, hoping to find a better version of themselves, but they take themselves with them wherever they go. So each place and each group of people is disappointing because they're really not disappointed in those people as much as they are disappointed in who they are. So until they make a change internally, they're going to continue to be disappointed with the external world. This is episode number 104 with Roland Frazier. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm here with my co-host, Barbara Allen. And, you know, each week we bring you an inspiring interview or story from an exceptional American who is giving back both in business and in everyday life. And I encourage you to use the stories that we feature here and the lessons that they provide and insight as inspiration so you can continue to define, build, and live your own American dream. Because our guests prove it's possible. They prove that with focus, grit, determination, and never settling for easy, that you too can live any life you choose. And today's guest, Roland Frazier, is a perfect example of that. You never know it unless he told you, but Roland Frazier has lived through his own version of hell. A jovial, highly respected, and ultra-successful entrepreneur who speaks with celebrities and influencers on stages all over the world, and whose net worth makes being a millionaire seem like middle class, once lost everything he built, and he came perilously close to ending his own life. The grandson of a Southern Baptist minister had embraced the concept of selflessness in his childhood, but it wasn't until he was in prison that he realized giving back is about more than feeling good. It's also a gateway to new opportunities. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Roland Frazier. We're going to take kind of a fun track today because today's guest is just kind of a fun guy on top of having so much value to add. So we're going to start instead of focusing First, on truths and life stories, we're going to go about and myth bust. We're going to take seven primary myths and dispel them and replace those with truths taught by Roland Frazier. Roland Frazier started on his entrepreneurial path, never, ever looked back. Today, he is partner or owner, part owner of dozens of companies. He scales them, he grows them, he builds them, and then he exits them all in uh, accordance to how it suits his life and how it suits the market at the time he has designed a life. Most people envy and think is impossible, but he has proven over and over again that it is possible. So going into the myths that we are going to dispel, if you think that A, only children must be selfish, that you can't buy a house or a business with no money down, hopelessness lasts forever, 15-year-olds cannot play in bands and bars, that kindness must be a casualty of success, happiness must be surrendered to struggles, or that there are limits to the levels of success you can achieve. We are going to bust all of those today based on example from Roland Frazier's life, and we're going to replace those with very real truths in a fun way, but a meaningful way that we can all apply to our lives. Roland Frazier, we're so, so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me, Barb. Appreciate it. We have, um, when we have people on, you know, I love to listen to other interviews they do, how other people introduce you. You were introduced in so, so many ways. So it was hard to kind of 
nail one down, right? But one of the, <laughs> the favorites that I love is Robert Kanat says that you are one of the most talented entrepreneurs and gifted business intellects on this planet. And I think probably of all the things you could say about someone, I think that's one of the coolest things somebody could, you know, could ever say about you. I think it speaks a lot to value, a lot to character. Uh, and I think it's, it's true. Um, it, you know, so congratulations to you on achieving such a level of success and still having so many people say such sincere and genuine things about you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So let's get started a little bit chronologically, and then we're just going to kind of bounce around, ping pong around to, to where you want to go. We'll start with the one. You were early when you started down your entrepreneurial path and your dad, I think, was a big inspiration to you. You said you got to see at an early age what it's like to create a life designed specifically for you. You know, what was that like? Oh, it was really great. I mean, he, he was an attorney and um, was had his fingers in all kinds of other pies. He, he, uh, he was just always interested in, uh, in growing and, and getting better. And so uh, in, in the back of his car one day, I found Dennis Waitley's Psychology of Winning program and um and was like oh my gosh you can set goals and achieve goals wow this is amazing it was like you know wow mind blown and uh, visualization you can visualize things and it's almost as if you had done it and so there was so much great information in there and then um later he introduced me to tony robbins um and and the the funny thing is that both dennis waitley and tony robbins ended up becoming clients of mine when i was practicing law and and now full circle, I just spoke at one of Tony's events in Amsterdam a week and a half ago. So it's uh, it, being exposed to those kinds of things and having, you know, your, your father figure literally uh, introduce you to them is, is pretty advantageous, especially to happen that, that early on. Yeah, I'd say so. But now here's, here's a primary difference, right? And I want to talk a little bit about that because a lot of kids are exposed to a lot of things, whether good or bad in their parents' lives. You know, bad examples, good examples. My dad, for instance, uh, was a dentist for a lot of years with his own practice. I got to work with him, I, but I hated it, right? Like the, the thought of being a dentist never really stuck with me. And you're a teenager. How is it? Not many teenagers would be exposed to those, but I have teenagers, right? I have four boys and mm -hmm. some of them are <laughs> no longer teenagers, but um, you know, I've been there and I'm in there right now. And I cannot imagine my teenagers like picking up a Tony Robbins book, a self-development book. They see it around, right? I have all of this stuff around, but they're just <laughs> like not dialing into it and not buying into it. So what do you think it was about you, um, you know, that was open to actually receiving that information I and like, how could parents encourage their children? <laughs> What's the secret? I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah I, I was a weird kid. I mean, I was reading, <laughs> I remember my, my sixth grade book report was on a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay, which is a transactional psychology, transactional analysis book. Um, and I was fascinated because it's like these three little circles, parent, adult, child, and then you're talking to somebody else. And are you talking to their parent, adult, child, or coming from your parent, adult, child? It was like, this is really cool, you know, and that's my book report. And, um, you know, other people were reading comic books and things like that. So I was just a weird kid um, that, you know, I think my mom uh, was a was a uh, middle school teacher and um, she was very into Jungian psychology. And so I got just got introduced to all that stuff and found it really interesting and um, and just kind of ran with it. So. Lost him. Weird. So, step one: have a weird child. I have a weird child. Well, I got that down. Okay. Got, all right. I, all right. 
Right? <laughs> I got and, a couple of weird kids. And I, and then the steps two through seven, I'm not really sure about. And then step eight, they love Tony Robbins and that kind of stuff. All right. That's a, so I got step one and step eight. And then, step, you know. and then we're just going to make up the steps in between. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I know you've told the story before, but I'm not sure our audience has heard it. So just, you know, quickly, um, it was kind of a joke about how only children are selfish, right? But it's a very real lesson in there, right? And it's very simple and simplistic. And I think it's something that you carried out throughout your life. You talk about that candy bar that you, that you wound up sharing when you were a little kid. And that one little moment that stuck with you. Yeah, it was really funny, um, uh, and it's funny because I was just talking to somebody uh, about it yesterday. It it's uh, it was a big moment for me that I still remember sitting with with two other kids that I was playing with, and we had a little corner. There was like a wall outside by a patio, and I was sitting down and I was sharing the candy. And I had always been a take the big piece kind of guy, and um, you know, and I don't know how old I was at this point. You know, six six years old or so, I guess. And, um, and I broke the piece off and, um, I don't know if it was my mom or my grandfather who had said, you know, always give the big piece to somebody else. And so, um, so I gave the big piece to somebody else and I kept the small piece for myself. And I was like, that just felt awesome. I really, it, it was a clearly, because I remember it to this day, it was a very palpable, meaningful experience that, uh, that left an impression. And ever since then, it was, it's just been, you know, give, you know, split the nickel and give the big part to somebody else because um, that ultimately will make you feel good. And the cool thing about it is, is that ultimately selfish, the, the most selfish thing you can do is to, is to give more to other people because it only comes back like 99% of the time. So uh, it, it's, it's cool that being selfish is the best thing that you can do. For, I mean, excuse me, being selfish, unselfish yeah. is the most selfish thing that you can do in the end, because it benefits you more than anything else. What would you say to someone who is like, yeah, yeah, you know, I get that, I get that, but I have nothing. I have nothing to give. I'm so behind in my bills. I got no groceries. I can't feed my kids. There's nothing I can give. So I'm sort of exempt from that now. Like I should, I should be on the receiving end of that now. Yeah. So, so there's a good chance that the reason that you're in that situation, if you are, is that you have, you're out of alignment with giving and putting good contributions out, making deposits into the, the, the gift bank that ultimately comes back. And so you can always give something because if you are down on physical things, then you have time and you can always give of your time. So that would be the thing that I would say is, you know, where can you start giving back? And you can even give back in a way that would help you solve some of those challenges. So let's say that you're, um, you know, that you can't afford to buy groceries, then, you know, if you were to go and say, give back by working at a homeless shelter on a food line or something like that, then you would have food that was available to you and your family. If you guys, if you did it as a family thing to go down and volunteer, you'd have that in addition to giving of your time. And that would make everybody feel good. It would let you see that there are other people who are far worse off than you. There are always people that are far worse off than you. If you live in the United States, a lot of the world is just by definition worse off than you, no matter how bad you are here. So, um, so I think that it's just a mindset thing, as most things are, that you absolutely always have something to give. And the converse of that is no matter who you are or how successful you think you are, that you always have something that you can learn from other people. So I think if you keep that, those two sides of that coin balanced, then um, 
you, you really serve yourself well. I think so too. That's a hard, hard lesson to learn. It comes out so easily. And I know that, um, you know, from experience and from people I work with, like, so that's why I asked you that question, because that's a lesson that I had to learn myself over too many years. And I'm telling you, if you're listening to this and you think it's a lot of bogus, he's a hundred percent right. A hundred percent right. I think it's, especially when you're the furthest down that you have to just, just kind of reverse psychology and, and start giving. But I can promise you, it works. And your life is certainly a testament to that as well. And you just keep proving it over and over and over. So yeah, I talk. You, mm -hmm. I think if you feel, if you feel uh, down, you know, cause life is tough, right? Life is tough. Now, I can give you uh, the last 30 days of my life in a version that you would say, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Or I can <laughs> give you a version that you would be like, yes. I can't even believe the success you have. Right. So it's, it's really focus and perspective. And so I think it's one of the keys is, is to be grateful for the things that you do have. Even if it's a basic thing, I choose three things every day. Yesterday, I, cho I chose I can walk, right? Now, that's a, that's a very basic thing, but there's people that don't have that. And there's a lot you can do being able to walk that you can't do if you can't. And so I think having a gratitude for some of the most basic things in your life, for some of the, the people in your life, and then some random things. I always pick three things like that. Um, that's a great way to position yourself mentally to start your day. And then throughout the day, you can say, I wouldn't be able to do this if I wasn't able to walk. I wouldn't be able to have this dinner if I didn't have this wonderful person that I decided to marry. You know, and, and then it helps you to reposition your thinking around not scarcity, but bounty and, and plenty. And, and, and as, as uh, much as I would say that I'm not a woo-woo kind of person, um, and I get the people that want to call BS on this, um, I would challenge them to spend 30 days giving, reposition their thoughts about the, around the assets that they've got because they do, whether it's a physical asset or a mental asset or a time asset, they do have something to give and share with other people. And that if they start doing that, and they do it for 30 days and it doesn't work out, then write me back and tell me that I'm full of crap, but you'll never write me back. <laughs> no, I, th I think that is so true. And again, I think if there's any one thing that people can grab onto that uh, they'll wish they had really understood and practiced and embraced earlier in their lives, I think that is it. Like a hundred percent, that's it. It's one of the most important things you could do, but how do you get to the level where you at talk, let's explain to people who may not know your story a little bit, like where you're at now and what you do so that they get some context of why I'm so curious about how you hang on to these policies and principles in your life. Sure. Um, I, so where, where I am right now is I, I consider myself a strategic investor. I hope that I'm smart money and not dumb money, but um, I find businesses, I invest in them. I help them grow and scale and then exit for, um, you know, for a nice, uh, a nice payday after typically three to six years. And um, in the last, uh, in the last eight months, I've exited three different businesses, I've acquired uh, four different businesses. And um, um, they range in, um, I'm not allowed, typically to say what they exited for. But um, the, I know the one that, um, that I just acquired an interest in will do about $4 billion in transactions this year. And, um, and it's just, uh, it, it's just it's, it's got the ability to, to quintuple that easily over the next 
just few years. So it's very, very exciting time. So I own companies in the SaaS software as a service space, in the e-commerce space, in the real estate brokerage space, um, e-learning, um, lot, lots of different kinds of businesses, even uh, OSHA uh, training and things like that. So it's, I'm not really stuck on any particular kind of business. I've, I've been in um, about 30 odd different industries over the last uh, long time that I'm not going to mention, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's no, over the, over the, over the last 35 years. Um, and um, the same principles generally apply. So that's, that's kind of my thing is I, I find people that I enjoy working with and businesses that I think have great potential that are underutilizing some resource that they've got right now, help them realize their potential and then monetize it by selling to somebody else. Just like that. Just like that. What is a sign of a company that has great potential that maybe they don't see? Like what's an example of this company? Oh, you have so much potential here, but they may not even recognize that in themselves. So um, it's, it's frequently like, um, I, I, I'll reverse engineer it. So there are lots of things that you can do in a business to grow it dramatically. Um, you can expand it internationally. That would be one. Um, so an example of that would be uh, I, I acquired an interest in a company called Digital Marketer. Digital Marketer had an event that um, I, was, I thought was very interesting. It was a fantastic event. It was the dominant event in its niche and it only had a thousand people that were attending at the time, I think 900 and some people. And um, so I knew that we could focus on that, grow it, get it to a certain level and then geo-clone it, meaning you just take it and put it in the exact same event in different areas. And um, so over the last six years, I helped Digital Marketer grow that event. Last year, we sold it to uh, Clarion Events, which is a UK company that's owned by Blackstone Group, which is the largest, I think it's the largest uh, private equity fund in the world. And now Blackstone, um, we sold a controlling interest in it, so we still have an ownership interest. And now Blackstone is funding the geo-cloning of it with us running everything. So it's kind of a cool partnership. Um, another example would be a real estate company, Big Block Realty. Big Block Realty um, right now has about a thousand agents and is only in California, but is in the process because it's grown. It's been on the Inc. 500 list in the as the number one fastest growing real estate uh, brokerage in the country for the last several years. And um, it hadn't even franchised yet. So franchising is another way to grow very rapidly. Franchising is well-respected as a way to grow in the real estate business. So we're in the process of, we've just getting all of our regulatory approvals now to franchise and go nationwide and then globally. So that's, you know, that's another way. Um, it's just looking at, you know, there are several proven paths to growth. And so you just look and say, is this, is this company a company that is on a track to be able to grow in one of about um, 44 different ways that I've identified that you can do that? And if it checks that box and the people are cool and fun, and um, I think it has great potential and a great team and a great culture, then that's, that's a good recipe for success. I like how you add in the people are cool and fun. This is a recurring theme with you, which I love. And I think, you know, I was just on your Facebook page again today and saw the giant post you did for July 4th. And I, I love it. And, you know, and you, you just go out there and you give specifics and you say that because there are a lot of people and I've been to events and, you know, I've been, I've invested in things and I, you hear over and over the, the mindset that, you have to, you have to give everything. You have to go all the time. You have to go hard. I had one 
um, event I was at, which was good. And I was getting value at, they tried to, you know, sell me another event, but it would have meant I missed my son's high school graduation. And I said, anyway, it's my son's high school graduation. And right. instantly I got messages, skip the graduation. I guess you must not want this badly enough. You can always record your son's graduation. I'm like, oh my God. You know, and I think for somebody who may be just getting started out there or like open to pressure, I think that can be very distressing for them to hear that message over and over. And, you know, it can almost set you up that you're going to fail if you don't miss your son's graduation. You know, you're going to miss this event. But you have an entirely different message. Can you talk about that for a minute? Because I think it's so important and I love it. Yeah, I just I really disagree strongly with the grind mentality that's being put out there. And and I like I mentioned in the post that I said, you know, I I, I like Gary V. He's you know, he's a friend. He's actually speaking in a, he's spoken at our events before. He's speaking at an event we have coming up in September. And um, and I like Damon John, who did Rise and Grind. And, you know, he's another friend and, you know, he's spoken at our events and we've done stuff together. Um, but I, I think the message of grind, grind, grind is. Um, Number one, it's not for everybody. And I think so. I think the very first thing is that no lifestyle fits everyone. So if someone's telling you something that doesn't resonate with you or feels in the slightest bit off, you know, read the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell and where he says it's it's you can sense whether something's right or amiss just from your intuition from looking at something. The museum curator can have a, a fake statue come in and be told it's a da Vinci and look at it and say, I, just, I don't know what it is, but something doesn't seem right. And they're right almost every single time because their whole experience and their whole um, makeup and mentality from all of the years that they've been alive tell them that there's just something that, that's, that's out of whack with that. And if you feel that something that someone else is telling you that you should do and they're successful and you, you envy their success or want to emulate their success, but it doesn't resonate with you and it feels off, then don't do it. If you love grinding, because some people do, like yeah, I, they do. Yeah. I, I don't doubt that Gary Vee, even if he complains about it the whole time. Uh, oh, he loves it. Yeah. yeah. Loves it. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but if it is a grind, which to me is, is like, it just doesn't feel right. If, if something somebody's telling you doesn't feel right, then recognize that and acknowledge that that's just not right for you. Nietzsche said, my, one of my favorite Nietzsche sayings is, my words are not for their ears, right? Their words are not for your ears if, if they go against what you feel inside. If you don't feel good inside about something, then listen to yourself, right? That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, is that my experience is, and um, you know, there are certainly people who are far more successful than I am who, who advocate grinding, but um, there are other people who, who are far more successful than those people you know, Richard Branson's a great example. Richard Branson spends his time on Necker Island and, you know, skis and hangs out and changes the world in good ways. Um, he's not grinding. He has 12 companies that are doing a billion dollars, right? So, yeah. and, you know, and I got a chance to interview him a few months ago and he's just a, he's just a cool, laid back, chill guy. So different things for different people. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is, is that, that there's example after example after example of people who have simply decided to work smart and not hard. And if you spend the time thinking about what you want to accomplish and what's the, the leveraged way to achieve it, which I'm a huge advocate of, I, I think you can get to where you want to go every single time without even a little bit of grinding. I mean, there's going to be stuff you don't want to do from time to time, but miss your son's graduation i mean <laughs> yeah. 
I, I, to me, it's like, well, who they offer? We'll go to the next place. Probably hold sixteen times a year. You know, it's like the son graduating thing. That's only going to happen once. And by the way, if you miss that, your son yeah. might feel let down, and then it's going to damage his self-esteem going right. forward and potentially your relationship. That's a horrible bit of advice, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it was. And like you said, I know that there are people who would agree and would just jump right in. I've met them. Like, that's how they choose to do their life. You know, that's how they want to roll. That has nothing to do with me. But for me, when I said, um, and I had no problem saying, hey, I, I get that, but, you know, I'm not going to do that. My son's graduation matters more to me. They mm -hmm. just like, it was like almost an attack and I, and I just stopped doing business with them. Right. So, but I think that was an important, an important lesson. I think me maybe five years ago or six years ago coming in would have felt maybe pressured, you know, and, and, and actually conflicted about it instead of just clear about it. So I love that there's people like you coming out and giving the opposite message. And I think it's a matter of finding the message that fits you, like you said, you know, and yeah, going with and it, then, but being comfortable it, with going with it. And there's a solution too. So what's cool is that you want the cool thing is is that we know that there are people that enjoy doing that stuff so you know as as i mentioned in that post partner with those people yeah. employ those people contract with those people and let them do the grinding let's talk you mentioned a couple things in there that i want to dig on you mentioned so one you guys said you were interviewed or you did interview richard branson um and then the other about the businesses that you grew and how you how you grew it and i know that interviewing Richard Branson is something that was probably one, a pretty cool moment for you and an event for you. And, and it's an accomplishment. Not anybody can just go, you know, get him right for an interview. And even you, like someone, you know, even, even you, like in the level that you're at with the connections that you have, everybody that knows you, like you still had to work it a little bit. And I think there are people who just assume that a, when you get to a certain level, you don't have to work anything. Like everybody, everything's just going to come easy to you. Or B, if it doesn't come easy to you, then it's not worth having at that point. So I'd love if you talk for a minute about how you're still open to working around systems and navigating, seizing opportunities and leveraging moments like you, like you did to, to accomplish that. And it was just something that you wanted to do. And so you found a way to do it. Yeah, it, it, was, it was something that I wanted to do. And um, it, it's really funny when I was sitting, coming back, uh, from London before I did that interview, I um, was sitting in the airport in the lounge at, at Heathrow, and I, I thought about all of the things that had to happen in order to make that make sense to make because it cost quite a bit of money to have him come out yeah. and do that. And um, and and I was thinking it's there's a thing that I, I called it butterfly leverage because it's each flitter of of uh, or each level or ripple of the thing that you want can lead to other things that can then circle back and make the thing that you want possible so for the example there he was quite expensive you have to make a very large donation to his foundation to have him come speak so we know that i had an i had a budget to work with from the event that was half of what i needed to have him come out so i needed to generate uh, an additional half. Um, and it was, it was a, a good bit of money. So, um, so how could I do that? And I said, well, one thing that I can do is when I have him come out, I can say, well, if you'll stay longer. And I did, I had done this before with William Shatner and a bunch of other celebrities. I always try to get them to come for four hours so that I have the ability to do a reception. Plus I have the ability to spend some time with them to get to know them just in case there might be a deal in the works. Right. Yeah. So, um, and then I'm, I'm dealing with them. 
not, you know, I'm dealing with them, I feel as an equal, even if they're wealthier or more successful or more popular or more well-known or whatever than I am, we're sitting down at a table to break bread. That's the ultimate kind of just get to know you kind of situation. So that was what I wanted to engineer. And then I said, okay, well, if I engineer that, I want to have time to spend time with him. I want to have time to interview him. What can I do that will leverage this that will also provide additional value to the people who are coming to the event and value to the businesses and help pay for it? So the very first easy thing was I'll do a reception. And so I had um, 20 people who paid 15000 I said, okay, you can meet with Richard Branson. We're going to do a reception. He said, absolutely. I'll come around. I'll have wine. I'll talk with everybody. Um, I charged $15,000 a piece and I sold 20 spots, which gave me the extra $300,000 to pay the rest of his fee. Then I said, um, I said, okay, cool. That's great. And those people got a lot of benefit out of it. And then I said, well, what I'll do when I interview him on the stage at the event, I've just launched my podcast, which is called Business Lunch. I want people to listen to that. So I had Business Lunch sponsor the didn't really have to pay anything to sponsor, but I had it sponsor the stage thing. And so I said, this is a business lunch live interview. So the big banner on the screen behind interviewing him said business lunch and subscribe. And everybody in the audience or 6,000 people in the audience is subscribing, which drove my podcast up in the rankings into the top 100 for Apple, which is really cool. Then I recorded the thing and got the rights from him to be able to release it. And that was a long negotiation and I could only have it available for a certain amount of time. I haven't released it yet because now I'm negotiating with Apple to put it on the homepage of iTunes for if I give them a 60 day exclusive when I release it, then they'll give me time on the front page of iTunes. So that's a deal that's about to happen, which will also help the podcast. Then we reprinted. We're like, okay, how can we sell more tickets from this? Um, so we sold an extra, I think it was a million and a half dollars of tickets to TNC just by having a campaign saying, announcing that he was coming. And all of our people who speak, we send a little blurb that shows their picture and then under it, other pictures of the celebrities that are speaking. So, you know, that's kind of cool for them because it's like, I'm on the stage with these people and it says featured speaker and they're the featured. Yeah. So they always know that. Well, we had already sent that out because it took so long to get this this thing in place with Richard that um, that we then reprinted them and sent them out to, you know, redesign them and sent them out to everybody. And now that Richard Branson was down in the pictures of the little speakers and they were listed as the speaker, they all mailed all their people again. And we got an extra million and a half dollars tracked that from those campaigns and um, and just on and on and on. So it was like, what are all of the things that 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 like, here's the thing I want now. How can I make it happen? But not only how can I make it happen, how can I benefit the audience more? How can I serve my, you know, my uh, group of people more? How can I take all of the other things that I've got that um, that could potentially benefit from that and really maximize the opportunity? So I like to try to think at least five things out. What's another thing that I can do? Great, I can do the reception. What's the another thing I can do? Oh, I can, I can promote the business lunch thing. What's the next thing I can do? I can sell more tickets. What's the next, you know, that's, that's the, to me, the butterfly leverage. And if you're thinking that way, there's always three or four or five things that you can do that you wouldn't have thought of if you hadn't just taken the time to think about it. And you wouldn't have thought of it if you were grinding out something else the whole time. <laughs> yeah, all true. All true. And it's so, so important, I think, to take one opportunity or one moment and look on all the different ways you can grow. It's easy to get in a rut, like functional fixedness, I think is the concept, right? Where you just look at one thing, say, oh, that's it. And 
there's no other possibility to grow that or change it into something else. When in reality, every opportunity has so many other opportunities that you can, you can create from it. So what about someone who thinks that there's a limit to a, to a level of success? I'm so-and-so I come from this area. This is my life. I, I can be successful, but I can, someone like me is only going to be this successful. What would you say to that person? Yeah, it's, it's like all, all limiting beliefs are mindset related, right? That's where everything starts. So there, there are just so many examples to prove that that's not true. You know, you, you can go and dig out hundreds of the most successful people. Jeff Bezos started as uh, the son, I think, of a Cuban migrant. And now he's the richest man in the world, even after giving $40 billion to his wife, right? You know, there's, <laughs> there's, there, there's just so many stories that, that dispel yeah. that it, you can't possibly believe that if you look at facts. What about um, people who are going through a tough time? And if you're open to sharing your story, I found it so interesting and so moving. There are people you can get into a place where you feel so hopeless, you feel so lost, you feel like that is going to last forever. I was there after my husband was killed and I was in the midst of all this trauma. So I can relate to that was no one can relate to anybody's specific story, but you can relate to feelings and mindsets. And I understand what it's like to be in a place where you think that hopelessness is going to last forever and you're never, ever going to find new joy or be happy again. Are you open to sharing your story on, on when that hit you and how you, how you got out of it? Yeah, I, I was, uh, I had, a, a, a challenge where I ended up, um, I ended up going to jail for five months, uh, for, as a result of being, uh, not a good, uh, not a good listener to things that, uh, I, I'm not a good, not what'd a you good, do? Uh, person with authority. Um, I, so I was yeah. uh, pra- practicing law and I, um, I had, uh, basically I, I helped people with asset protection and there were rules on reporting and I did not believe that you should have to tell the government what you were doing with certain things. And, um, and um, so I told my clients that they needed to make these reports, but I didn't follow up uh, with the level that I should have. And ultimately, um, you know, when you see the United States of America versus you on a on a petition, you're like, no, oh, that's that's not that's not really great. That's not um, ideal. Yeah. <laughs> no. And so so I settled that and I, I went to jail for five months. But in the in the couple of years that it took for that to happen, um, it was a very, very dark time. I lost lots of you know, of friends who, who maybe weren't friends. I was certainly in a bad place to be a friend. And, uh, I, you know, my wife left me and, um, uh, my, you know, my business, uh, fell apart. So it was a, it was a really, really tough time. And I thought about not, uh, you know, not wanting to go through that, not wanting to be there. And I, I remember, uh, it was a, you know, a pretty good period of time, maybe, you know, 12 to 18 months of, experiencing that and going through that process and, um, and wrestling with it and thinking, you know, is this, is this something I'm ready for? And could I handle, you know, this thing that is going to come down the pike at me? And ultimately I remember sitting in a little church in a, a small alcove in Denmark in Copenhagen and thinking about it. And, um, it wasn't like a religious experience. It was just kind of a realization that everything is going to be okay. And I have the decision of whether to go through this and millions of people have gone through this before for far worse times than me for far better reasons. You know, Nelson Mandela would be a great example, right? Here's a, yeah. here's somebody that did it 
working in not in the selfish interest of you know of a, a profession but in trying to free a people from an, a horribly oppressive system of government and um and uh did it for years and years and years and then came out and had this amazing life and everything beyond it so life does go on if we choose to allow it to and you know the the most selfish thing you could ever do the ultimate screw you is to take your own life and um and you can't ever come back from that and how does that impact everybody else and would it be possible to serve other people while you're going through this challenge and um and i decided when i you know when i went into the um, the federal thing i um i decided i wanted to volunteer time to teach people english because that's always been something that's been very strong for me and it turned out that there was a there was a posting that said uh english english tutor wanted and i went up to the counselor person and said you know hey i'd, I'd like to help with that and it turned out that it was a job, not a volunteer thing. Now a job in, in there pays, the top job I think pays 27 cents an hour. So, um, so it wasn't, you, you don't do it for the money unless you, unless you don't have any. But um, what it did was everyone normally starts on the food line, which is a very nasty job, very, you know, like cleaning, mopping bathrooms and, and, and floors and things like that, which is good work, but not, you know, not something I would consider pleasant. And I got elevated past all that. She was like, well, normally you have to do this, but you're obviously overqualified for this. And so I want you to do it. And so you can have it, which was amazing. And so I got to actually teach people uh, GED English. And it was uh, a really great and rewarding experience. And um, I would never have done that, even though I had talked about it for years and years. I don't think I would have ever taken the time to do it if I hadn't been ripped out of my uh, you know, comfortable life and, and put in this other thing. It also taught me sleeping in a warped used um, futon on top of a metal bunk bed uh, with uh, cinder blocks around me and 200 and some other guys around me. Um, it taught me that I don't really, it doesn't really matter what I have around me. I can be happy without physically nice things. I like them. I absolutely like them, but it's clear to me that I don't need them. And so um, it's really great that I decided not to end my life because had I done that, I wouldn't have learned the things that I learned. I wouldn't have had the experiences that I got there. And I wouldn't have also reinvented my life because I was practicing law and I was pretty bored with it at that point. I'd been doing it for 12 or 13 years and I had been married in a marriage that was fine but it was like being married to my sister there was no passion or you know anything like that and uh, which i take responsibility for too just that was where my life was it wasn't like from the outside you would look at it and say wow that's incredibly successful but from a happiness and fulfillment standpoint it wasn't terribly happy or terribly fulfilling it wasn't unhappy it just wasn't you it was know mediocre amazing. yeah yeah and um and i you know had my wife was older than me at the time and we had decided uh, not to have children. And, um, and so I, you know, wouldn't have ever had the opportunity to have children. So when I got through that, came out of that experience, um, I was able to remarry to someone who I'm absolutely passionate with. And uh, I inherited two children. So I got the whole parenting experience, which has been amazing and challenging and amazing and challenging. <laughs> and, um, and um, I got to, to do a way more interesting career to me that requires me. I used to dream about 
wouldn't it be cool to to ha you know to have as your job that you had to go to Israel and you had to go to you know Europe and you know uh, South America and Asia and all of those things are part of my my career now. So it, it was it, it's great to me to have had that experience also to share with other people who are going through hard times. And I've had people approach me and say, you know, gosh, I, I'm facing this really horrible thing and I don't know what to do. And talking about that with them helps them. So that gave me another gift to be able to give back to help other people uh, hopefully make good decisions about, you know, how to deal with challenges that are, are facing them as well. That's awesome and powerful. I knew most of that. I didn't know some of that. So thank you for sharing that with I, that. Those stories, I think, really, really do help people when you hear that thing and you hear what somebody else has gone through. It just, I think, gives you strength. Certainly hearing those stories and meeting people like that are what kind of added to my own kind of arsenal to, to combat what I was going through. So yeah. I, I love getting the opportunity to hear those stories and share them. So thank you. Oh, um, yeah. Did I see correctly somewhere? I, did you meet your wife now on Match? Yeah, we met on Match.com. It's, it's really funny. She signed up for a free trial and yeah. she, she said she identified three people that she was interested in and she ended up picking me to go out with and she, we met on her free trial. She never went out with anybody <laughs> else from it. We wow, that's a really good value. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's a story Matt should grab and, uh, and, and roll with. So it was funny though, because our first date we went and I had never really, you know, I was, uh, I, I was looking for someone uh, and I wasn't probably in the best place to meet somebody, but it, you know, having kind of everything else in your life fall apart, you're, you're, you have to do something. And um, it was really funny because our first date, it ended up lasting like four or five hours, the dinner, but she said, um, I have cancer and I'm not sure I'm going to live. And I said, that's okay. I'm going to jail. So we're good. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it was really funny. Uh, oh, so neither of us had, had ever told other people that because, you know, we'd never gotten close enough and certainly on a first date. And you didn't put that in your profile either. No, you know, it's, <laughs> that, can, that can inhibit your ability to people meet you. But, um, but it was really cool. So it was a very honest, um, transparent dinner. And, um, and we ended up uh, falling in love and getting married and, uh, and now we're, we're about to have our 10 year anniversary. So it's pretty cool. That's amazing. I love it. I met my fiance on match too. So I love, I love hearing those other stories he had. And so when I see um, things that you say he had in his profile, I do what I want when I want. And the mindset that I was in then I was like, what a spoiled little brat that sounds like. And I just kind of put him <laughs> off. I was like, I don't, I'm not dealing with anyone like that. Right. But now as you get to learn more and see more, I know exactly what he was talking about. And you say the same thing in different words. Um, that you just created a life that you love by, you know, a reality that you love, which uh -huh. I think is what he was saying, but it's not how I interpreted it. Right. But I think it's so important that you're free and able to say those things and people can interpret it, you know, as selfish or as un unattainable and all that, but really it's not. I love, so I, I love the message you give and I love how you live your life with such joy. Do you think though, can you imagine if you had gone to that prison sentence and and gone through that and come out like fearful and scared instead of grateful and aware and you know because people can go through those experiences and come out one of two shoots right it's like mini golf you're gonna come out one hole or the other right and uh and you zigged when you could have zagged and do you ever think back on that or did it just kind of come naturally to you was it just it, just the it way you were gonna come out 
Yeah, it came, it's a great question. It came naturally, um, and somebody else who had been through and experienced that told me later on uh, something that I, I think is absolutely true because I saw it when I was there, is that you are who you are wherever you go, right? So you are who you are in there. If you are a fearful, uh, scared person who thinks the world's out to get you, you will absolutely find that in there, but you'll find it out here too. And so, uh, but if you're kind of a take responsibility, I'm going to make the best of it kind of person, then you can make the best of it. And it's not horrible. It's not something I would choose, but it's, you know, it, you just, you are who you are. You take yourself with yeah. you wherever you go, which is why people who you see traveling around and they live 16 different places and they don't have any relationships that have lasted over a year or so, you know, they, they're moving the people and the places that they're locating themselves hoping to find a better version of themselves, but they take themselves with them wherever they go. So each place and each group of people is disappointing because they're really not disappointed in those people as much as they are disappointed in who they are. So until they make a change internally, they're going to continue to be disappointed with the external world. Excellent. Love it. Thank you very much. As we wind down, I'm going to ask you a question that is very important to us um, and one of the primary drives for us to get this going. You know, as a, I'm a military family, so my husband was killed in Iraq. I have deep ties to the military community. So for me, I love seeing people take advantage of everything we have in this country and utilize it and project the energy that you project back into the country. I think it's a gift. And for me, it makes it all worth it. But more and more in the news, we kept hearing how the American dream is dead, all the opportunities are dead, and we don't believe that's true. We think the American dream is alive and well. It just means something different to everybody else. So I love asking people, what does the American dream mean to you? I think the American dream is, is, means to me that you can advance yourself as far as you want. The American dream, I think, is that you, um, you're able to do something that you love doing uh, you're able to be free from oppression from the government to express yourself. You are able to create and affect change in the world and in the government. And you are um, able to, without any artificial limitations, rise to the highest level that your motivation, drive, skills, and uh, commitment allow you to rise to. There's no artificial limitation. If I had to sum it all up in, in just a couple of words, that would be it. There's no artificial limitation on your ability to succeed. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank mm -hmm. you for taking the time to be with us today. People mm -hmm. want to follow you, learn more about you, attend one of your events, grow from your experience. Where can they find you? Uh, I have a podcast called Business Lunch, which is on iTunes and everywhere else. I have a uh, uh, my personal website is Roland Frazier, F-R-A-S-I-E-R.com. We have an event called Traffic and Conversion Summit at trafficandconversionsummit.com. We do every year in San Diego. We're going to start in 2020 in Amsterdam and probably also Asia. And um, then I'm, uh, I'm on all the social media sites with forward slash Roland Frazier. Nice. When are you going to bring some of, this, some of this info and knowledge to the East Coast? We need it out here, man. Yeah, so the East Coast is on the agenda. <laughs> We're actually doing our first East Coast event in New York in September, just two months from now. Um, and that is, it was originally going to be a traffic and conversion summit, but the venue was not large enough. So we ended up doing it. I agency. hate it when that happens. You have so many people that want to go. Oh my <laughs> yeah, gosh. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. So, so, uh, 
so it's going to be called Digital Agency Expo, or it is called Digital Agency Expo. That's the 17th, 18th, and 19th of September. And um, that's on trafficandconversionsummit.com as well. But then in 2020, we'll be in New York at the Javits Center for, um, for a full Traffic and Conversion Summit. So we're coming. We're coming. You're soon. coming. All right. I'm putting it down on the calendar. We'll be there. Yeah. Thank you so much. Love it. Thank you. All right, everyone, there you have it. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'd like to personally thank Roland Frazier for being here as well. If you got any value out of today's episode, please share this with a friend. Uh, share it on social media. Make sure you tag us at American Snippets. Also, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Reviews go a really long way in helping us get these stories out there in front of more people. Uh, don't forget to check out the full featured article and the video version of this podcast uh, on our website at americansnippets.com forward slash 104. We'll also include some social media links to Roland's uh, social profile so you can follow him on social media and a link to his website as well. Again, we appreciate you being here today. Don't forget, we have the Great American Summit coming up in April of 2020. Uh, go to greatamericansummit.com to learn more and to reserve your seat today. We have a early bird special going on right now, up to 50% off on all tickets. So to learn more, again, go to greatamericansummit.com. Uh, appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. We'll see you next week.